1: 1- 844-Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.
2: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
0: I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original True Crime Review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, Tennessee law says you can't put children in jail for minor offenses. One juvenile court judge was doing it anyway. We'll review The Kids of Rutherford County from Serial Productions and The New York Times. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. When we say
3: minor offenses, I'm thinking about it. I mean, offenses committed by minors. I know.
0: But like teeny tiny...
3: Pulling the hair fences.
0: Tiny offenses like disorderly standing around and stuff like that, yeah. Hair pulling. Exactly.
3: Five days for vandalism. Alleged
0: hair pulling. <laughs> also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City trilogy of novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, guys. Just gonna say because we're not gonna be here Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving.
3: Oh, yeah. Turkey Day.
0: Yes. Kevin and I will be uh, in Canada. Oh.
3: Yeah, we're not going to. Where it's s- not Thanksgiving. Where it's not Thanksgiving. Exactly. But they have a Black Friday, but they don't in, in uh, they don't call it Black like Friday. Crazy Friday. Or something. Yeah, I think it's the yeah the French translation is like. Crazy Friday.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's actually what it is. Yeah, and I was it's like, "Crazy Friday." <laughs> okay, is that
4: why you're going there for, no. to buy some Canadian goods? No, cheap? we're going there to yeah. eat.
0: It's
3: Cheap and
4: Canadian. We're going to goods. be at.
0: We're going to be at a. Uh, when is this coming out? This episode Monday. Yeah. So we shouldn't just disclose our location. So <laughs> we are going to be at a very famous Montreal restaurant on Thanksgiving that I'm very excited to go back to. Yeah. Oh yes,
5: that's interesting. What made you guys decide to go
0: to Montreal? We did this
5: for a couple years
3: ago before the pandemic. Yeah, you, you know because we'd have like. One year, we'd have kids, and one year, we wanted it for Thanksgiving, and it was kind of like, this is a great time to go. It's not too cold here, and it's fun, mm-hmm. and you know. And well, we still come back. We're still having our friends' giving over I the weekend. Should, but- I've,
0: I've permanently now shifted my Thanksgiving to the weekend. It's always on Saturday now. Mm-hmm. You guys are, once again, welcome to come, but like uh, you're going to be getting your email invite, but I've permanently shifted my Thanksgiving to Saturday, so that frees us up all week, and so Kevin was like, do you want to go away again? And I was like, do you want to plan it? Do you want to pay for it? We can go.
3: I said, it's going to be Crazy Friday.
5: <laughs> I, that makes me, I just got my passport renewed. Maybe I'll go to Crazy yeah. Friday.
3: <laughs> me too. Isn't it a cool passport? Where they like double the photo now and it looks really yes. super high tech. Yeah.
5: And they don't let you smile in your photos. Like when I went no. to get a new photo, they're like, they don't want you to smile because they want it to look like you're just going through like customs and you're just looking normal. It's and sick. I'm like, but I look so depressed. And they're like, that's how they want you to that's look.
3: I, yeah. Where'd you get it? like CVS or something? Staples. Staples. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
4: If you have to show your paper somewhere, man, that's the way you're going to look.
0: That's true. Um, so, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's program.
3: We just established that, yes.
0: What is coming up on next Monday's show?
3: Next Monday, we're going to be talking about the new podcast from Campside Media. It's a new season of Witnessed, season five. It's called Witnessed Fade to Black.
0: All right. Before we start our conversation, yeah. can I just talk about something I'm thankful for about you?
3: Okay, sure. I'm
0: thankful about the fact that you have a couple new pairs of shoes. Oh. And I want to thank a fellow podcaster for that. Do you want to uh, go ahead and do that? Thanks, or should I? Uh,
3: I'll do it. Apparently, Payne Lindsay thinks my kicks game is pretty weak. <laughs> um, and I, and Toby's not. He says, "Yes, I have seen your feet." <laughs> I just got a bunch of like really new, like I like you bought me like for my birthday a couple different colors, and so Payne sent me some fancy sneakers, some fancy sneakers, yes. you know, wow. and Converse and Nike, and I guess they're uh, you know. Super nice. And I'll just, they're so nice. It's like, I can't wear them anywhere.
0: Yes, you can. They're meant to be worn.
3: Yeah, don't wear them
4: outside, though. <sighs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, wear them around the house where no one can do, see. Yeah, them. you got to do the Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yeah,
3: maybe I'll wear them for uh, Exeter Lit Fest. Down oh, the yeah. road. Maybe we can talk about that down the road, can't we? Even more enticement to come.
4: That's yeah. right.
5: Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to have to get some
0: new shoes to keep up with you if you do that, Kevin. Yeah.
3: Now I th- you, I think you're going to burn a hole through your souls if we keep having podcasts like this one. That's
0: right. All right. Well, anyway, thanks very much, Payne, for the gifts for Kevin. They're, we're very thankful for those on this uh, week of all thanks, all things thankful. Anyway, um, shall we move on and talk about the things that we are talking about? Let's,
3: let's do that.
0: All right. Let's go ahead and talk about that and drop that first clip right now. Leading off, outrage is spreading through one Tennessee community after five children were holding 100 out of
3: their parents school. met at First Baptist Church in Murfreesboro over the weekend, demanding answers. It was injustice to these
2: kids, it was injustice to the family. I just I, I'm angry.
0: A fight among children caught on video led to the arrest of 11 black students charged for not stopping the fight. Kids as young as eight were cuffed and booked into jail, even though Tennessee law says juveniles can't be detained for minor infractions.
6: Every single docket, there are kids who just simply don't meet the legal criteria to have been detained and even arrested. Yet here they are in chains in a jumpsuit having a detention hearing to determine whether they're going to continue to be detained.
0: Two attorneys were shocked to learn that over a decade, officials in Rutherford County arrested hundreds of children for small violations and left them in jail cells for days. The police, the prosecutors, and the detention center all ignored the case law for one reason. The juvenile court judge told them to.
6: It immediately, to me, appeared to be illegal and in excess of her jurisdiction, you know, borderline criminal because you're directing law enforcement officers to commit mass illegal arrests of children.
0: Host Mara Benight looks at a massive civil rights violation, reveals how it came to be, and follows the two juvenile delinquents turned lawyers who tried to do something about it spoiler alert we are going to be talking about plot points from the kids of rutherford county so if you want to remain spoiler free go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews now first a very big picture look at this podcast laura how did it make you feel um this was absolutely
5: rage inducing for me i haven't honestly felt such anger since I thought about Doug Evans. Mm. I mean, I think, you know, you guys know me. I definitely have a trigger for injustice, but particularly in the criminal justice system. And here we have children who are being jailed through the juvenile court system in a way that you right off the bat, you know, this is going to be something that shouldn't be happening. There's going to be a character in here that you hate. And there is, who is responsible for this. And, Listening to the setup, you know, just right off the bat of this fight with these kids that's on this video, like my justice hackles just were like, you know, these children as young as eight being put in jail because they didn't stop a fight. I'm like, this is kind of like normal, like schoolyard behavior. Like it made me feel very angry, Rebecca, to um, give you a short big picture answer.
3: How'd you feel about the fact, Laura, that the things they were charged with weren't actually crimes? It's like, they're just making like things up, like not stopping a fight, like, which is not even a law. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I'm like, so, okay, what's the appropriate response in that situation? Okay. How about we bring the kids into the office at the school and talk to them and be like, Hey, this is like how you should treat people and how you shouldn't treat people and give them a little talking to not send them the fucking jail, eight year old kids. And then as this gets going, you know, we hear about uh, alleged crimes of other children that are totally ridiculous that are just like, um, oh, I took my grandmother's Bluetooth speaker. I mean, stupid shit, like not stuff that I think rises to the level of wasting resources of the court system.
3: Somebody pulling a girl's
4: hair.
5: Pulling a girl's hair, using a blank check at the book fair, <laughs> uh, stealing a football jersey.
4: Give somebody a timeout.
5: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Come to the office, timeout. Um, you you sit in the dunce corner for a while yeah. or whatever.
0: One of my kids would have done life if these were actual <laughs> crimes. I'm just saying, um, Kevin, so... There is an incredible like cold open scene where this whole fight thing happens and then we hear about the scene in the principal's office where both the principal and one of the cops actually tries to stop this from happening, right? One of the cops knows that it's wrong and like tries to make these phone calls to stop it and the principal tries to intervene and we hear her later in these depositions talking about it.
5: Uh, We're going now, we're going now. There's no more talking, we're going now. And I said, but, 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 you know, she's, They said they weren't even there. And he said uh, three times, really loud. And he had the handcuffs right in my face, and he was screaming at me. But I was scared, and I didn't want to go to jail. And so um, I backed off.
0: Doesn't it, in some ways, I don't want to say make it worse, because you can make it worse, But it's like it still happens, even though people in real time know that it shouldn't be happening. And then the imagery of watching these kids get dragged away, nonetheless, and and being pulled off school buses, nonetheless, is horrifying. Right.
3: Sure. I mean, I think this is what happens when you have like unchecked power and the ability to operate with impunity. I guess we're kind of like going a little farther down the road from, you know, that incident. But, you know, it does nothing to the administration of justice to just follow the law as it's written, and not detain the kids, or certainly not charge them with bullshit infractions. Now, you know, I mean, it seems like anecdotally, like, sometimes the cops and the jail officials and the school officials were troubled by what they had to do because of what the judge said, but this is what happens when you can't afford to piss off the single judge, whose court the whole system revolves around. You know, you can't afford to get on the bad side. And that's why even in court, like a lot of the defense attorneys would just kind of roll over on this kind of stuff, except for Wes and uh, and Mark, who have uh, Laura Bricker genes in them and just want to, you know, try to set the world to right.
0: Toby, what do you hear when you hear Judge Davenport? I mean, we hear some, obviously, tape of her You know, we don't hear her in the courtroom, but we hear tape of her on a radio show talking about what she does in the courtroom and her philosophy, which people seem to love because she keeps getting elected. And we hear the radio host commending her for and callers to this talk talk show commending her for is I will put somebody in jail, even if they're a child, if they are a danger to themselves or to the community. And they know if they break the law, there's going to be a consequence. And they're going to be detained, possibly. They're going to be held for a while. And they are going to be held accountable for their actions. And there is no more slap on the wrist. They're going to see some consequence. And I'd like to think that that's part of it. And that we will use our facility to detain children. Straight up, I hear dog whistle stuff when I hear that. Uh, what, do, what do you hear when you hear her talk about this? I mean, that that's what I hear. I don't know if that's what everybody hears, but that's what I hear.
4: Yeah, you know, I think similar to what what Kevin was saying, this idea that you have one person who's got all this power, and then so you're kind of at the mercy of her conception of things, right? And she seems to, like, I kept thinking that maybe she had some mental picture of some idealized like late 1940s community where all the kids are walking around like acting like robots or something Uh i i mean i it's a little hard to play
3: some stickball
4: exactly exactly helping old ladies across the street and stuff (laughs) um so yeah i mean i think one thing and, and maybe i'm getting ahead of this conversation a little bit but i think one thing that this podcast doesn't really address very much is the fact that this judge, Judge Donna Scott Davenport, is, you know, she's a she's a white woman in her, I would guess, 50s or 60s based on looking at a picture of her. And they don't really talk about the racial makeup of these kids who she's supposedly disciplining. And I did, just because that was a question in my mind, I, I just did a quick Google search. It probably took me two minutes And there were some headlines about how they felt that there were disparities between the way black and white kids were being treated. So, to me, that's a weird failing of this podcast is to not bring that up. Like, I don't think they mention the race of these kids even once, or do
3: they? Yeah, at the end of episode four, they talked about, the weird thing is that when Judge Davenport had this policy that they noted that the racial mix of the kids somewhat mirrored the population, black to white, and then when this new judge comes in, the reform judge, there are so fewer detentions, but the great majority of them are black kids. Oh, that's interesting.
0: But I will say, that comes late, and there is imagery about black kids being arrested. There is dog whistle language. I think that it is not a focus of the podcast enough and it should be. I and mean, I don't know. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And I think you can look at numbers, right. And you can also look at who's getting sent to this, like quote unquote solitary, uh, and given a cup and a Bible to hang out with for a few days. So I, I it was just kind of weird. It, it seemed like maybe they like made some conscious decision. It's like, we don't want to make this all about race. But it seems as if based on sort of the totality of things that are reported on, that if it doesn't have big racial disparities, that in and of itself is newsworthy. So yeah, I mean I, I just I kind of felt like that was a strange omission.
3: When we first started talking in that question sort of about the judge, right? It, who's an elected official? And so you're right, this image of this matronly figure providing the discipline. That the public believes the parents aren't providing is somewhat appealing, but it's also racist and classist, but it endures, right? People think, oh, here comes the single mom in there, and she's never done anything with that kid, so thank goodness that judges... And that's why, in part, why she gets elected, also because she does these radio appearances, right? Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to set these kids straight here. and, And that's how it is. And the thing about if the law says that if they're a danger to themselves or whatever, it reminds me of a cop saying, I was fearful for my life when I shot that person. That it's so broad and nebulous and so subjective that it's so easy to to conjure up after the fact to insulate you from any responsibility. And so, you know, it wasn't until she's held accountable in federal court that it just was too easy to say, no, this this actually is what the case law is, and that person's dangerous, and put him in solitary confinement. What did you think of
0: uh, hearing Judge Davenport in her own words, Laura?
5: Well, I think right off, you know, she's the mother of the county. She wears her teal <laughs> robes. She's got artwork from kids in the courtroom. You know, she's got this whole shtick that she's doing, but then you hear her in her own voice. She believes that what she's doing is the right thing. I, I, I just got more triggered listening to that because it was just so clear that it was like no gray area in her world. It was black and white. There was no room to understand what the actual circumstances were with children. She was making broad judgments about their family, about their parents, about their situation. She was just also, you know, doing her own interpretation of the law. But it was it was fascinating listening to her because she was like she's like this folk hero figure in a way in this particular region where they keep reelecting her because people are like, well, good for her. And, And that contrast with the lawyers who are like reading the law and they're like, this isn't even the
0: law and literally not the law,
5: literally not the law. And she's just like whatever, it's the law in my courtroom. And you're like, it was just fascinating to me because it was was so wrong from that legal standpoint. But the fact that people were buying into it in such a way where she was, was also very telling in terms of, you know, how this continued as long as it did. Well, I think that's what
3: happens when, like, you don't have somebody acting as a check on yeah. another person, right? Like, there's no one around to like tell me I can't do the business section right
0: now. That's true. I mean, you can,
3: but I'm just gonna ignore you, <laughs> yeah. because it's what I've done Kevin, all the you other can't times. You can't
0: do the business section, right? Okay, Rebecca, now. off. No, just, <laughs> <laughs> I said it with
3: love in my heart and a big wink. So,
1: so in the business, and I, I beeped it out. And you, you beeped it out, terrible. did you? Okay. <laughs>
3: Well, one of the things we can be thankful for is that we have a Patreon, and if you go to part- if you go to patreon slash partners in crime media, you can get great stuff like the crime writers on after show. Interesting one we got coming up this week, next week. Uh, Like we said, we're talking about witnessed fade to black. That story. There's a conspiracy theory at the center of that podcast. (laughs) So Rebecca wanted to ask everybody about what conspiracy theories do you believe?
0: Maybe believe in a little bit.
3: And Toby's uh, like
0: none. But if you believe (laughs) in yes,
3: but if you believe in it, then it's really not a conspiracy theory, right? Yes,
0: it could still be.
3: I also want to ask Lara Bricker about whether the people she's uh, seeing on the apps are are bots. (laughs) <laughs> or artificial intelligence, because she—that's her conspiracy. Theory. Yeah, that—that
5: that is my conspiracy theory. But
0: I think I'm onto something. Laura on the apps, man. I could talk about it all day. <laughs>
3: We have other great podcasts there, including Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Toby had a great discussion about uh, the book called The Man Who Invented Motion Pictures, and he had a great panel of four super fans from crime writers on, and they fucking hated the book. (laughs) It was
5: great.
3: great. I feel like, Toby, that maybe the problem was that it was mismarketed as having a true crime aspect in addition to being maybe just a bad uh, history story.
4: Uh, it was at least mismarketed to me when yeah. I read the uh, the little thing about it. So I just want to make clear that one of the guests is Deb Schutica, who's been on a bunch of times. She's a professor at George Mason, and the other three were people who volunteered from the Fabled. And this may be a conspiracy in and of itself. The Deep Dive uh, Facebook page that some people know about and some people don't. I don't so, think
3: Rebecca and I knew about
4: it.
0: I, I may have created it. and okay, Didn't know right, about right, it. Right, yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> so. I'd read another book by this guy that was awesome, and so I don't want to discourage people from reading a Kim Jong-il production, which is actually a really good book by the same author, but this book ends up being like a pretty technical look at the invention of movies and all these sort of technical things that they had to overcome and patent applications and Thomas Edison being a dick. So if that sounds fascinating to you, you have found your book. But if that's not what you're looking for in a true crime book, there's a certain crowd that's going to love it but it's not a very big crowd.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and so if you want to hear the first five minutes, to get a five-minute preview. You don't even have to belong to our Patreon, but head on over to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You can listen to that, and if you join, you can hear other great podcasts like Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, where she solves mysteries to her in her quaint AF town of Exeter. You can hear Married With podcast in which Rebecca and I dole out life advice to other folks. And remember, too, if you join us at the Let's Do What We Do level, you can get episodes of Crime Riders on early... And ad-free. I also want to make a plug for our other podcast. It's called These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. And this week, we're talking with L- Wa from the DocuSweeties podcast. Oh, she was great. And uh, we're talking about an SVU episode where the victim happens to also be a sex worker, but also happens to be the world record pole vault champion. And everything is on the line for
2: her. You see this woman here last night? Yeah, Barbie.
4: Barbie? I'm guessing not her real name. She comes in a few times a month.
1: Never seen her pay for a drink. Once.
3: New from Mattel, Hot Mess Barbie. (laughs) Comes with cab (laughs) fare and a bottle of cranberry juice.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) Ew. All right, Kevin, before we end the business section, I have to ask the question. Yeah. Do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week?
3: Our Patreon patron saints are Elizabeth Uh, Halpern uh, and Lindsay Lombardo.
0: Elizabeth. Bless you. Lindsay, I keep getting questions about how these people are picked. I got one on the Reddit Mm -hmm. AMA that I am doing in perpetuity. And the answer was, Kevin picks them. I just... Sometimes it's random and sometimes it's someone who just joined. I
3: was just feeling like when I was pulling names, particularly this week, I was like, there's just so many great people that have supported us forever and ever and ever. And it's like, I wish I could pick 30 people every week.
0: Oh my God. Our favorite thing that happened, we were in Dallas, is that one of our very, very lovely and very loyal listeners, uh, Sav Halley. Mm-hmm. Um, approached us and said, how come I've never been a Patreon patron Saint of the week? Remember? Yeah. And then she said, and then I looked at my Patreon and realized I joined it under a fake name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I've never been a Patreon fake patron Saint Saint of the week. Yes. She's been real mad. Yeah, not like, yeah. A, not like a name
3: name, but something like you know,
0: like a fake, like like old an man, online yeah, avatar. Oh man,
3: Farterfuddle fuddle <laughs> or something like that. Were <laughs> I'm just not. like okay. I am old like, man oh
0: man, Farterfuddle. Well, no, not that.
3: But it was something like it wasn't <laughs> some screen. name It wasn't Jane Doe. No, you know, it, it was, was just, like a video
0: game screen name type yeah. name or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. So someday, Sav, it will be you, maybe if you ever change that Change your fucking name, yeah. (laughs) All right, Kevin, is that end the business section?
3: Thus ends the business section.
0: I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix.
1: cosentix works for me ask your doctor about cosentix
2: vr training platforms like the one developed by fundamental vr and orbis international are
0: helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients
2: as you practice each skill the muscle memory starts to develop learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact hey friends are you struggling to attract and retain top talent
0: So, Toby, it looked like before Kevin made the transition to the business section. I mean, hijacked the show. <laughs> you were about to say something. What was that? Do you remember?
4: I, I was just going to say that I think there is a part of the media that really promotes these views about youth gone wild and the decaying of morals and and all this stuff. Which I think makes things like Judge Davenport's efforts seem less egregious i guess in that it seems like she's addressing a real problem which i don't actually think exists but i think if you are consuming stuff from a certain corner of the media that probably does make more sense to you Mm -hmm. and you know i don't know what the listening slash watching habits of rutherford county tennessee are but my my guess is that that has something to do with it. you think it's a possibility
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually thinking the same thing that that you know it certainly is and has been in recent years, a theme of certain kinds of media to sort of characterize young people and certainly young people of color as, you know, ruining our communities. I mean, that has definitely been a theme. And that's a, that's a theme people get elected on. That's a theme that becomes a center of campaign commercials. That becomes the theme of political talking points. You see it over and over and over again. And it's racist and it's a dog whistle. And it very likely is, you know, something that is saturating the media in that particular part of the South. All right, Laura, what do you think about West Clark? Here we hear about this lawyer who yes. when he first enters Davenport's courtroom is young, idealistic, and truly believes that if he just tells Judge Davenport, hey, this is illegal, she might actually <laughs> stop what she's doing.
5: Oh, yeah. No, so I, I love, you know, me. I love a good defense lawyer. And and here's Wes. He's just out of law school. He's 25. He's also got a difficult past of his own that he's overcome. You know, he's had a drug issue since he was a teenager. And, you know, he had a DWI at one point. So he was like, okay, I'm not going to be getting into Fancy Pants Law Firm right off the bat. And someone says, oh, well, you should go to juvie court. And he goes in, he gets appointed cases and has his first client. He meets his like a tiny little girl. And he's like, wow, this is a little kid that is being held in a facility.
6: It definitely stuck with me that like, The statute is pretty clear about when you can detain a kid and here's the kid being detained anyway.
5: From there, he's all excited when he realizes that the way that Judge Davenport is holding children is totally illegal. He's so excited. He goes in, he cites the law, which is the law, in fact, and she's just like, whatever. And the other attorney's, when he's like, oh my God, can you believe this? They're just like, yeah, whatever. So it's like, everybody has essentially at that point given up in that juvenile court system. But what I love is that Wes perseveres. He then connects with Mark, who is another attorney. And they basically, you know, are like, we're going to form our own firm. And then they have their like ill-fated, like, we're going to be like personal injury lawyers and make money so we can fight the man on the other causes and I don't know. They had somebody who had like a leg amputated. They thought they had a big case and they're like, yeah, his leg was going to be chopped off anyway. So tough luck. But I love the fact that we have, you know, it's like somebody that you can get behind as a character in this story. For me, somebody that I can relate to and get behind that I'm really rooting for in their effort to make the system fair and actually make the system function the way that it should be functioning.
0: Hmm. I will say I think this podcast has some flaws, which I'll talk about in a minute. But one of the things I liked about it was its transparency about Wes getting into this in part for the money, because mm-hmm. uh, that's what lawyers do. I mean, lawyers, you know, t- they take cases and they want to do class action cases in large part because they usually get like 30 percent of the of the settlement or 30 percent of the class action money. And they did see a big opportunity here. And that's why they were able to get that other big you know class action lawyer and the bradley cooper dude um because he then also saw the potential for earning money and west certainly was idealistic west certainly was right west certainly had his like head and heart in the right place certainly
3: was trouble too and they didn't sugarcoat that
0: correct but also i liked it that they revealed the business side Mm -hmm. of the law and i think that that was fair and i think that that was just like decent journalism there um kevin what did you think about this legal partnership
3: yeah, I like it, because like you say, Wes is not, he's not some patrician nepo baby. It's not like your typical bootstraps and you work night school kind of shit. It's, you know, his, his origin story is that he was also a as they say, a juvenile delinquent and an addict. And he continues to struggle with his addiction. Uh, we see kind of in and out, like the, over the uh, the timeline of the way the story is told. And so he makes a good partner for Mark Downton. They do compare themselves to Don Quixote. We have friends who are lawyers and are always talking about like, you know, landing the whale. Not every attorney gets to land the whale and then, you know, buy a lake house afterwards. <laughs> so yeah, they're still just kind of workaday lawyers. But I, I do, I believe it was Wes... Who, like, for all of his modest upbringing, you know, was throwing shade at the attorneys that, you know, had <laughs> wrinkled suits like they'd been sleeping in them or something like that, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that that was actually to demonstrate just how downtrodden these lawyers had become going to Davenport's courtroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they weren't even trying anymore. They're just like so hanged They're so beaten down, you know, by the system and by this woman. It was incredibly sad. And they weren't even trying anymore, you know? one of the things and, and Toby I'm just wondering if, if you thought about this too because you were talking about a flaw of the podcast and I just wanted to bring this up because this is one thing that super stuck out to me later in the story we hear about them you know trying to reach people so they can give them their settlement money right and then we hear about this failed attempt you know to give this one person the $48,000 that they would have received we hear about all these people who you know got a little bit of money 10000 14000 16000 whatever and she talks to this one guy who received sixteen thousand, and and he talks about his friend who's now in prison and she says oh i know him and she's talking about a guy that west represented that we heard about at the beginning of the podcast right and we hear he's in prison for parole violations because he smoked pot and it was something else like missing a meeting or something Mm -hmm. like that and then she sort of moves on i just stopped the podcast there i actually went back and listened again for a minute and i was like this is the flaw of this podcast they talk about the trauma of kids being arrested and put in jail. They don't talk about the record part of it because this kid had parole violations because he was in a system since he was a kid. There's nothing wrong with like whatever it was he was doing, except for the fact that he was on parole doing it. He, you know, you can drink when you're a citizen. You just can't drink when you're on parole. And, and if, if you roll back a person's life and they're in the system since they're a child, that marks you for life. And I just don't feel like the podcast talked about that. Like they talked about the trauma, but not what it means to be a kid, especially a black kid. Who's put in the system as a child and how that follows them for their entire life and changes the course of their life in terms of, you know, the chance that they're going to be incarcerated again in the future because of some stupid fucking thing that actually isn't even illegal if you haven't been incarcerated before.
4: I mean, I think there's like a spectrum of outcomes, right? And they didn't look into any of them. I think another question would be, are they graduating? Do kids who are incarcerated like that, do they graduate at the same rates as their peers? She doesn't ask the obvious question, which is. Was that parole thing at all related to this initial arrest? You know, doing a little digging. What What is the sort of life course of kids after this initial interaction with the system? It doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to do. I mean, it would probably take some hours, but it's not. It's just, it's like a, you know, kind of brute forcing it. You know, it's a modest podcast. I mean, let's be honest. It, it's really about this woman judge and sort of the damage she did. It's, it's much less about the actual kids other than as examples of things that she oversaw that were examples of injustice or it's just like a whole system of injustice. Hmm. I, I, I think that's just kind of the way the whole podcast is right. I mean, the kids are examples, but the real sort of antagonists and protagonists are people involved in the justice system, whether it's these lawyers who are suing Or it's, you know, the judge, the woman who runs the Rutherford Juvenile Detention Center, and like these other freaking adults you hear talking in ways that are more or less clueless about about what's actually going on.
5: Right. Well, piggybacking what you were saying, Toby, about like, where are the kids now and like, how did this affect them? I think one part in the podcast that kind of brought that out a little bit for me was when the lawyers get this settlement and then they're out trying to find these former juvenile clients who are now older and not able to find them. And and they are seeing where some of them landed or didn't land. And it was not easy to find those people. And it sounded like a lot of them were still involved with the legal system when they were out trying to find those people. You know, at that one point when they had that, like the big one that was going to have, what was it like the the big payout, the person that had like the most. Yeah, the $48,000.
0: Yeah.
5: Yeah. And they weren't able to find that person or whatever. It's just that kind of dipped the toe into that part that you were talking about, but not to the level that would have been as kind of illuminating about really how that early interaction with incarceration translated to them being able to move past that and live their lives. And I think there is definitely research about, you know, this is not the approach to take with kids. I mean, they you know, <laughs> support and compassion typically have a much more positive lasting impact on kids than just this like punitive, we're going to punish you and stick you in jail. Um, yeah. yeah. Well,
4: there's like this whole like, school to prison pipeline thing and they're just kind of skipping the school and just sending them straight to prison, right? Right. You
3: know, it's... Right, right. You'll never pull another girl's hair again after this experience. (laughs) Right.
0: I mean, I think what you're both saying essentially is this is not a quote victim-centric podcast. This is a this is a system-centric, and the all most of the main characters are sort of the you know the white people in power here. The judge, the lawyer, the lady at the detention center, and the the real victims are their names on a page. We hear quick voices and phone calls. We hear consequences, but not. The people. I, I want to talk about one other thing before we wrap up, a thing that we don't typically talk about uh, that, that much, uh, because it's kind of like a, a thing that I don't like talking about, and that's the delivery style of this podcast. Ugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I'll go first, because I'm usually the person who, like, bans it the most. This is the third, I believe, podcast, short-form podcast we've heard from Serial Productions in the last year or so. We yeah. heard The Retrievals, Coldest Case in Laramie, and this, right? Yeah. Um. There is... What I happen to, like, truly believe and know is a holdover delivery style from cereal that came from the This American Life sort of radio-making laboratory that demands the world's flattest narration style.
1: It's the type of fight that barely seems worth posting online. But that happened anyway. And soon the video started to make the rounds, spreading from the kids to teachers, and eventually to one police officer.
0: I know this is the case because I've talked to producers who used to work there. I've seen the narration-like direction myself. Flatter, flatter, flatter is sort of the way it's supposed to be. I don't know why. I don't know if it's supposed to make the tape sing. I don't know if they think that's replicating the casualness of voices, but I find it incredibly distracting at this point. I find it affected, and I actually think it takes away from a story like this. And I was so thrilled to see that two of you made notes specifically along those lines, <laughs> Laura. You were one of those two people, right? Yeah.
5: Well, I I wasn't. I was like, oh, we don't say things about people's voices. This we isn't voice. Things. It's performance and it's delivery, it's delivery yeah. style. And then I saw Toby's note, and I was like, oh, I'm glad Toby made that note too. It, it, I think what it was, it's just the style. It like you affected. It just sounds like we're trying to be super intelligent, enlightened, affected. Hosts in a way that to me can be off-putting, and I that maybe that was too blunt, but it's just it's off-putting to me.
0: Well, it's what Brian Reed sounded like in his podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it a works style. some places. I'm yeah. kind of over it. I guess okay. is what I'm trying to say.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I th- I think they'll, the their argument would be, well, twenty years of This American Life can't be wrong, and you know, in some places, I think in some places, yeah, it, it, that works. I get that they keep you no know, flatter, no, 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 do it, you know, less emotionally. But sometimes we need those dynamics, you know, to to, to instill energy and and, and whatnot. You know, they've got it down where it's like, you know, this doesn't need to be 12 episodes. This feels like four episodes. Which is great. And there you go. You're servicing the story that way. I don't think that kind of direction services either the host or the podcast very well. Yeah, I mean, I think if
5: you're
4: going to have like this super, super flat delivery, and I can't remember... If everybody has this thing, but she, there was this tick where like the last, I don't know if it's the last syllable or last word, like goes down like half an octave or something. It's, 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 it's really distracting, but if you're going to do that, I think you have to, you know, vary like the length of the sentences and things. I mean, I think you have to find other ways of making the narration sort of interesting sonically. And this just had such a repetitive cadence. I mean, it was just relentless. And then once I started picking up on it, like there've been a couple times just while we've been recording that like people have been like, Oh, what about this? And I'm like, well, I was probably in like a fugue state because I'd been so like mesmerized by this, like nonstop uh, assault of the same length sentences again and again and again. So, you know, I, I just don't know who it serves quite honestly, because This is a story, like, it's sort of a larger criticism, is that this is a story that could have more emotional resonance than it does, right? Mm -hmm. I think they strip it out by, again, like, really the victims are, they're not really props, but they're off to the side, right? So you're just really focusing on the highest level of confrontation here. And so then when you then also flatten the narrator's voice, and I would imagine that she has some pretty strong feelings about this stuff that she's reported on. Like, I don't know how you couldn't, but then you're asking her to strip it out of her actual narration. Just seems like a strange choice. And I can't believe I'm the person who's going to be saying this, but like having an overly intellectualized podcast about something like this, that should be, you know, there's the information part, but there should also be like a visceral aspect of like this idea. And, you know, we're all parents, this idea that your kid at this age could be taken by some lunatic judge and put into jail and then be put into solitary confinement for doing something that we would like, you know, sit down at the kitchen table. We got to talk about what happened and why you shouldn't be doing this and all that. That should have some kind of emotional impact and I think they do a lot of work kind of trying to strip all that stuff away so they can tell this sort of newspaper style story about kind of a clash of legal people over this one woman who seemed to be playing fast and loose with what the actual laws were.
0: I'll just say one last thing about this the sameness of the storytelling style, because the three podcasts we listened to in the last year or so from this they, they sound essentially the same delivery wise when you are asking every narrator in your shop to sort of do the same kind of delivery you're stripped not only stripping affect but you're also stripping cultural nuance out of every narrator's voice you're stripping humanity out of every narrator's voice and you're stripping what people sound like conversationally out of narrators and writers and storytellers and journalists' voices. And this is what we all complain about in journalism when it comes to, like, sort of the whiteness of journalism. And whether or not your journalists are white or people of color, when you're asking everybody to change the way they deliver their sentences, it does not serve them, it doesn't serve the journalism, and it certainly doesn't serve the next generation of journalists who should just be being taught to sound like they sound when they're in the field talking to people when they're talking to us. I just could not believe in that more. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both.
1: Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.
2: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
5: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at Meta.com
2: slash Metaverse Impact. Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent?
0: All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Kids of Rutherford County? It is a podcast from Serial Productions and the New York Times and a couple of other collaborators, as we heard in the final episode. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Kids of Rutherford County?
5: Yeah, I'm going to go thumbs up with this. I mean, I know there's there's issues with it that we obviously talked about in a review, but for me, it was four episodes about a particularly rage-inducing issue in the juvenile Criminal justice system. We have a a judge who, to me, I just was enraged hearing about. We have some defense attorneys who are trying to do the right thing. So it hits all of the type of justice issue topic area that I particularly gravitate to because I love hearing about, you know, people that are trying to keep the system fair. And we have. People in this story who, you know, that is their focus. And and yeah, they could have done more to highlight particular juvenile victims in this. But I think for four episodes, it gave us a good overview. I went and looked it up and read about it online. I mean, I have my fuck Doug Evans needlepoint. Now, (laughs) now, maybe this holiday season, I will get the fuck Judge Davenport needlepoint. So um, thumbs up if you like to stay abreast of justice issues around the country and how they're being handled.
0: Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the kids of Rutherford County?
4: Yeah, I guess I'm a thumbs up. You know, you got to kind of, you know, give a thumbs up or thumbs down to what's there, not what's not there. I mean, it's not in format anyway, like the daily, but it feels like it was it's sort of that kind of treatment in that it's sort of like the news and it's it's like what's going on with like sort of the highest level of this news story without really wading into sort of side issues and stuff. That being said, I think there was the potential here to have a longer, much more resonant podcast that included you know what the effect of this system of juvenile justice in this County had on the kids who are caught up in it and how that plays out into their lives. And even in sort of the way the the County is, because you do have all these kids who are coming out with records at a very, very young age. I mean, down to like seven years old having interaction with the penal system. So, you know, it it feels like there were some opportunities that were not followed up on, but that would have been a very different podcast. It would have cost a lot more, required a lot more resources, all that stuff. For what it is, which is modest but interesting, I give it a thumbs up.
0: Kevin
3: Flint. Yeah, I'm also a, a thumbs up on this. I mean, uh, you know, we have sort of come to expect sort of these big, epic podcast productions and larger theme deep dives from serial productions. But, you know, I think it's fine. The last couple of podcasts, Toby used the term modest. I kind of like that. I I feel more like instead of swinging for the fences, they're swinging for based hits and trying to hit for average. And that's fine. And I thought that this was a good podcast and again, four episodes, perfect length for what it dives into. It's also a podcast, I guess we would call it a noun story and not a verb story. It's looking back and telling you about Primarily what has already happened. There is some some sort of action about, you know, present day, a couple of developments, and the host goes along for that. But for what it is, I enjoyed it, and I thought it came up with a great topic, and it did, uh, you know, tickle my justice hackles as well. I always kind of hope that these things stand as a cautionary tale for injustices that could very easily happen elsewhere Unfortunately, I just don't think that any great podcast is going to change the world. So anyway, that's just my way of saying, yeah, I guess I'm a thumbs up.
0: Yeah, this is really hard. I'm a thumbs up, but I feel like I'm going to be having conversations with people later telling them I didn't like this show.
3: So do something
0: else. (sighs) I'm doing thumbs sideways. I got to do it. I'm sorry. I know that I'm grading on a curve here because this is not a bad podcast, I just know that I'm going to be thinking about this more and thinking about it more later about the things I didn't like about it. So I'm thinking of future Rebecca right now and giving this a thumb sideways. I just feel like this team could do better with what it had here. And I just I'm just going to point to one thing, which is not particularly a spoiler. It's style. We had studio and in-person tape of everybody in this show And we had phone tape with the victims of this story, montages of phone tape. And that did not escape my notice that these are the most important people in the story. And they were clips and montages of phone tape. And I was like, why aren't we talking to these people in person? We talked to everybody else in person, except for the people most affected by this systemic thing we're talking about. And I just think that that just points to sort of the major flaw of this. I couldn't stop thinking about it as I was listening to the rest of the podcast. And then I sort of rewound back and thought of the other sort of storytelling issues I had with it. This is a great, great story story. And so for that reason, I was like, oh, thumbs up. But then I think about all the reasons, all the things that, that is missing and all the things that with this team should know better to do. And uh, I just, I got to go thumb sideways. I'm sorry. Because I know the people who worked on this are really smart and good, but like, I got to go thumb sideways. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of the week. It's called the crime of the week. A woman on TikTok made a startling confession. She was, quote, today years old when she learned that Alaska was not an island. Sabrina Abre admitted to being a grown-ass woman who spent her whole life thinking the land of the midnight sun was actually an island floating in the Pacific Ocean. The reason? In every map of the U.S. she studied, the 49th state was displayed in an inset next to the lower 48. To properly place Alaska next to that filthy landmass of the Yukon in British Columbia, you'd need a special kind of map, you know... A globe. Yeah. It's not an island, but Alaska is the largest peninsula in the Western Hemisphere. And if you want your mind totally blown because it stretches into the Eastern Hemisphere, it's both the westernmost and the easternmost state in the country. Aubrey took to social media to profess her ignorance only to learn she wasn't alone. Other American grown-ups confess they, too are just learning Alaska lies in the extreme northwest of the continent and not in a tiny magic box hovering over Baja, California.
3: Yeah, thanks, Obama.
0: (laughs) Panel, geography is hard. What other shocking information will people discover when they look at a map? What do you think, Lar Bricker? That the Earth isn't flat? (laughs) Toby Ball, I feel like you're going to have an answer right at your fingertips here. What other shocking information will people discover when they look at a map?
4: Well, I thought it was that the Earth was flat. Maps are flat.
0: <laughs> what do you think, Kevin?
3: Well, I'd say if they they're going to be really disappointed when they find out that you can't actually see the equator from space. It doesn't. There isn't actually a big black ring around the center of the globe.
0: Huh? Oh, there is. He, really? No, there isn't, Toby. Hmm. <laughs> you, right. you know what I think it is.
3: Toby's <laughs> going to argue <laughs> with me about the equator. <laughs> I
0: think I think they're going to learn that they're going to be amazed to hear that Congo is as big as Western Europe.
3: Oh. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. <laughs> all right that's gonna do it but photographers before photographers
3: sh- versus social justice <laughs>
0: there was that episode of the who west wing knew? who knew that toby was a goddamn geography expert that's gonna do it for us but before you go lara bricker do we have a cat of the week this week
5: <coughs> we have a dog of the week this Yay, week my favorite animal i know it comes from caitlin ridgeway and it is caitlin's sheep doodle Jasper. Yeah. Who thinks he's a human ninety-nine percent of the time, especially when he sits. And Caitlin sent a picture of Jasper literally sitting up and like looking like the stink eye, like, of course I'm sitting up. I'm
0: human. Yes.
5: One of my cats does that, my fat cat, Pippin, but not as good as Jasper. So
0: Jasper, you are the cat of the week. That's incredible. All right. Of course, people want to send us their animals of the week. They can post them in our Facebook group. They can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com or Laura Bricker. They can send them to you on social media. How can they find you there? You can find me on the Twitter at Laura Bricker. Toby Ball, how can you be found online if people want to know geography facts?
4: I, I'm always posting geography facts at Toby Ball NH on Twitter.
0: What about you, Kevin? I'm a Kevin P. Flynn. I am at RebLavoy everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, all the platforms, but I mostly just tweet and do Instagram. Truth social. You can also <laughs> you can also follow the show on Twitter and everywhere at Crime Writers On, Instagram, YouTube, everywhere. And I encourage you to join our amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. It really is rad, and we're letting lots of people in every day. Just go to our regular Facebook page. There's a pinned post there on joining the group. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media you'll also get all the other shows we make back there you heard about them in the business section our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons our line editor is the terrific Livy Burdett. the executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn this show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis Mississippi Studio otherwise known as Studio C the closet in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin also gets sent to time out when he's a bad boy I'm a bad boy on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you later later. i was
5: like i had a late breakfast and then i was like well i need a little snack and i stupidly went over to which is like i always forget how excruciating that place is it's like they have to like go fucking milk a yak out back for you to get your food (laughs) like it's so fucking slow i'm like i just want like the little snack box like how hard is it to show some fucking carrot sticks in a box And I'm like, hi, I'm looking for my snack box. They're like, yeah, we'll get to it. (laughs)
1: Ask your doctor about Cosentix.